good to have you with us tonight. I hope you brought your Bible with you. Turn to Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter number 15, verse number 33. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Pay particular attention to this last part. And before honor is humility. Do you understand that? Okay, hopefully I'll help you understand a little more. Turn to Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Haughty meaning disdainful, it's proud, it's arrogant. But watch what he says, verse 12. Before that, the heart is haughty, and before honor is humility. Now, God says this several times, that there's something that comes before honor, and that is humility. Now, we don't look, we're not taught that way in schools, we're not taught that way in our families, most of us are not taught that way, but that God clearly teaches, not just here, but throughout the Bible in many illustrations and stories, that that is a true fact, that before a person should receive honor, they have to learn humility. Not say, I have, but learn humility, or there should not, because once they get in the place of honor or title, they begin to destroy things, become arrogant, proud, boastful, pushy. And this is what happens. Why? Because there was no genuine learning of humility before the honor. So I want to talk to you about a couple things tonight. So I haven't eaten yet today, so let's get into this, okay? Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this place. Dear Lord, you do miss all of those that are sick and those who set their houses on fire and things like that. And uh, sure do miss them. Wish they were here. Thank you, Lord, for the folks that are here. Thank you for Eric this morning that got saved. I pray you continue to work in his heart and in their family. Thank you for the other visitors that we had this morning. Lord, thank you for the folks that are here. Those also that are watching live stream, not just our people, but from what I understand, people from really all around the world watch us, and uh, I hope that it's a blessing to them. If I could do that and they would turn more to you and trust you, I'll, I'll believe that I have accomplished what it is my intention to accomplish. But dear Lord, you have your way in people's hearts and we'll be satisfied with that. Thank you for this time. Please help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have been saved um, April, April will be 53 years? 52 years. 52 years. Uh, that's a long time. Now, if I was saved when I was still in my mother's womb, I maybe not be that old, but I didn't get saved till I was 20, and I've been saved now over getting ready to hit 52 years. That's a long time. What I found out and what the Bible bears out is along the way, nothing in the Bible or in life goes this way. Look up here. We pay a lot for these illustrations. But that's what everybody wants. I find it's more like this. Whether you're living for Christ or not, that's the way this world seems to be. Life is filled with many gains and much pain. 
It's just the way that it is. Many mountaintops and some pretty deep valleys. If you've been on the way very long at all, there are valleys, and not just valleys, deep valleys. There are different levels of valleys, but there are many that are very deep. There are times, as many of us are finding out, there are times of health. We all love those times. And there are times of severe sickness. There are times of births and times of deaths, wonderful days and experiences, and days of, we'll call them crisis, days of crisis. In my Christian life, I've always looked at everything as being a test. I don't care what it is. I just go through my life looking, why did that happen? I'm being tested for something. Something's going on. I don't look at it like, oh my, I don't, I don't know what this is all about. I may not understand what it's all about. There's one thing I do understand. This is to prove something. This is to test something. That's what God does in our life. It's a test, a time of proving my belief, my fa- a time of proving, a time of proving, not my time of talking, my time of proving my faith, my belief. How do you know, listen to me now, help me with kids. How do you know how pure gold is until it goes through the furnace? When they put 99.999% pure gold, now they can't say 100% because just in case they don't want to be sued for the rest of their gold. And so what happens is uh, they say that because they've taken it through the furnace so many times, they've taken all the impurities out of it they possibly can, and that's what made it more valuable because now it's pure. What helped make it pure? The fire, the furnace got everything out of it. In other words, it proved what it really was worth. The crisis in our life is a test of faith. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have gone through. Just let your mind run through the myriad of different things that you could have possibly gone through or that man can go through and just stop and think about that. The crisis in our life is to test our faith. What we say we believe eventually has to be proven in real experience. What we say we believe. At that point, that's all that it is. It's just talk, just belief, speculation. That's what it is to that point. That's not bad, but in order to prove the gold, it has to go through the furnace. It has to go through, let's call it crisis. We'll call it a crisis, okay? Let's call it that. So what am I saying? I want to prove in my life that during the time of crisis, will I act the way I say you should? Will I talk the way that I've been taught that I should? Will I respond in the way that I know I'm supposed to? Will I obey and so forth? Will I talk the way I'm supposed to? That is what God's word, will I do what God's word has taught me? I say I will, but how do you know? So crisis, crisis comes up. Listen to me carefully. Crisis does not make you act a certain way. A crisis simply brings out what you really are. I know we love to blame it on things. I would have done it. I wouldn't have cussed had I not hit my thumb with a hammer. Uh, I know a lot of people that hit their thumb with a hammer and they don't cuss. Well, I don't know how they do that. It's not in them. They found out the real them was, oh man, that's going to feel good when it quits hurting. Or we won't go there. Now, so what happens is, turn to Romans chapter number 12. Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter number 12. I want to prove during a time of crisis that what God's word teaches me, 
I will prove in my life, listen very carefully, during the time of crisis, not before, not after it's past. During the time of crisis is when I will prove to me and those watching me whether I really believe God's word, whether it's really a part of my life, more than just talk. You understand? So watch what happens here. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So there's proof that God wants us to have. Hi, look, I'm up here. Y'all looking at the kids. Look at me, okay? There is proof that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Proof that you can prove it. Not that he'll prove it, that you can prove it. God wants you to know, and God wants those watching you to know what you really have, what you really believe. I'll tell them what I believe. Talk is cheap. There's nothing wrong with talk, but there's really something valuable about proof, and that's what the Bible's talking about here. So, do we still obey God and his word during a time of crisis? That's when you're going to find out what your faith really is. Faith does not fall apart under crisis. Faith stands its ground because of crisis. It has to. So I, if I say I trust the Lord with everything, let's find out during the time of crisis. Oh, I trust God with everything. Okay. If I say I let God direct my ways in my life, you'll find out during time of crisis. It's easy to write these notes out. It's easy to write them down. But what do you do in 52 years and not just sitting in a pew, but you're actually active in leadership somewhere for the Lord? Do you still say this? Do you still act this way? Do you still behave this way during the time of crisis? It is so easy for us to make excuse. Well, if that hadn't happened, I would have acted that way. No, you acted that way in spite of what that was. Because that's the real you. If I say I let God's word tell me what is evil and I depart from that, we're talking about during a time of crisis when you can really prove what you say you believe. If I say I always honor God with my increase, during a time of crisis, you still do that? Now you're going to prove what you really believe. If I say no matter what God does in my life to straighten me out, to guide my life, to help me, I will never grow weary of serving him because I know he loves me and wants what's best for me. During a time of crisis, that's when you'll prove that. Not before or after. Before would be talk. After you can make excuse. During is when you'll prove these kinds of things. And so we find out here, all of this must... It's just, Every, everything I just said has to be put to a test. Understand what you're listening to right now because it's the truth and God wants you to grow. Sooner or later, you're going to have to live this truth. Now, God knows when it's time for the first grader to go to second grade. God know, if, Understand, I didn't just jump subjects. God understands when you're at this level, it's time for you to start moving on up that mountain a little bit and quit running around the bottom of that. It's time for you to grow. So God knows when it's time for that crisis in your life to prove those truths you've been telling everybody. And maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe you have a family you've been teaching about the Bible. And you say, oh, no, that's, that's really true right there. That's what people need to do. Crisis is coming. A test, if you would. A test has to happen or it's just belief. It's just speculation. It's just a, I think, or I know the Bible says that, but you don't know it. You've never proven it in your life. All of this has to be proven. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. 
Proverbs chapter 3. I, uh, I used to hear my brother talk like this all the time. And I thought, really? Everything I'm hearing in church about the Bible, I read and I finally say, that's true. I understand it. Yeah, then you have to prove it. It's kind of like the kids in, in school when I teach and teach and teach and I do all this. I say, okay, then we're going to have a test. Ah, oh, preacher, come on. We know this stuff. Same thing in your Christian life. God is saying, good. Then the test will prove how much you really know. Do you understand? Because you see out here, we don't give great. They earn them. Just because you talk about faith, God isn't going to say, wow. No, your faith is something that has to be proven by trusting the Lord. Look in Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. I need to prove God in my life. See, because up until then, it's a book I read. This is the young Christian going, I believe that, I believe that, I found this out. Good, wonderful. Keep reading, keep doing that, keep saying I believe that, but please understand, there's coming a time when it has to be tested. Faith without works is dead, being alone. Watch what it says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I'm in chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. By the way, a person is caught up in evil all the time and the mind's always twisting around and guts always in knots and you're always nervous and fear. It's not good for your health. Not good for your health at all. God said, you depart from evil, it'll help your digestive system and it'll also help strengthen your bones. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? I don't think he's talking about your belly button here, all right? So, honor the Lord with thy son. Uh, skip this one. And with the first fruits, that's the best you got, of all thine increase. If I do that, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? You want me to give, and I just have to trust you that I'll get back eventually or more? You just want me to trust you? So guess when you really put that, you say, I think I've learned that. Good. Then when something happens that throws your financial world in a tizzy, I can't tithe, preacher. What do you mean you can't tithe? That 10% belong to God, what'd you do with it? What do you mean you can't do that? What do you mean you can't do that? Look, you're looking awful sad right now. I thought we were going to talk about faith, preacher. Now, watch what happens here. For whom, uh, uh, verse number 11, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Uh, how far do I want to Verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he corrected. Now, you believe that. Now, here's what you said. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. I'm not asking you what the Bible says. I'm asking you, do you believe it? Do you believe what I just read there? Do you believe if I don't run around and get involved in evil, I'll be a healthier person? That's what the Bible says. Do you also believe that if you give God the first increase of your, of your first fruits, do you think that God will bless your life financially? I didn't say overnight. We're going to talk about this in a minute. I'm saying that God said, I'll take care of you. That's what the Bible says. Not just there, throughout the Bible, I can show you these things. So what's happening here? As one studies the life of Abraham, we're going to study about Abraham here tonight. Study about Abraham. What's he called? The father of the faithful. Hmm. He's, he's, he is, he is uh, as we study that, we're impressed with certain, there's certain crises that happened in Abraham's life that you go, wow, he did that? 
he did that, we call him crisis. And what did he do about that? I want to show you here in a minute. In his spiritual experience, each of which brought him, each of these crises, look at me, each of these crises brought him closer to God. Crisis don't drive you from God. Hard times does not drive a Christian from God. The world does that. The devil does that. Your flesh does that. The word of God and living for him, even if you're doing some things out of ignorance, God understands. There's a whole whole thing in the Old Testament about ignorant sin, or people who sin ignorantly. And he talks about they still need to learn things. They still need to be corrected. But it doesn't drive people away from God. We have some understanding we, we, we have to get to here. Each crisis in Abraham's life. The Bible, I've taught you so many times, Battling will make you better if, what is it? You do not allow it to make you bitter, right? So who's making it bitter, God or you? You. How about the crisis? What about the battling? Battling don't make people bitter. If that's the case, everybody that's ever been in a good spiritual battle would be bitter, right? That's like saying the devil stopped me from getting saved. Whoa, if the devil stopped you from getting saved, he can stop you from getting saved. He stopped you and you. Pretty soon he can stop everybody. But he can't. Why? Because it's not Bible. He's not allowed to do that. It's just a test. Folks, listen to me. Whatever you're going through, whatever you have gone through, whatever you're going to go through, it's just a test. It is a proving of one's faith. A proving. A proving of things you said, I've learned, I believe, I know. And God says, great. Let's take that raw gold and put it in the furnace and let's see how pure it really is. That's all this, it's just a test. That's what this is all about. Each crisis in Abraham's life required, was required. The giving in, the surrender, and causing him to be humbled was a part of the proving. I have too much pride. Thank you for not amening. I appreciate that. If Mike was here, he would amen. But, I, I, I recognize that. I do. It's a, it's a bad thing. It's a terrible thing. I don't like it. So every so often, God puts me through a testing time, a crisis, if you would, something unexpected to show me you still haven't taken care of that yet. He doesn't hate me because of it or he'd stop teaching me. He's still trying to draw me close to him to build my faith, to purify my faith. But just telling the Lord I've learned my, 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 my lesson doesn't mean I've learned my lesson. So God wants to tell. This is what parents do with their children. Oh, look, honey, he's crying. He's learned his lesson. If he learned his lesson, he wouldn't have stole all the cookies again. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter number 15. Well, don't turn there. Proverbs 15.33 and Proverbs 18.22 that we read as, as um, um, uh, our text verses here says before honor is humility. When crisis comes to receive the eventual blessing that's really supposed to be in there, one must surrender and yield himself to the will of God during the time of crisis. During the time of crisis. During the time of crisis. Not after things get better. Oh, I'm back again. What happened during the time of crisis? Before that, you said, I'm here to stay, preacher. I'm going to be at church all the time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And I like that. Thank you very much. I think, it, I think you need to say that. I really do. But let's prove this. So God, God designs ways for you to prove yourself. So we're going to talk about Abraham here, okay? First of all, the first crisis here, go to Genesis chapter 12. 
Genesis chapter number 12. I enjoyed this morning's service. By the way, what, what's the lady's name? Wanda. Wanda. I thought I started it. Her husband, Eric, got saved. And I, I mean, it's as sweet as it could be. And uh, I was talking, I think it was with her, and I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Brother Morris and uh, this, this guy, Eric, standing off to the side. And when I got done, I said, are you waiting talk? And I saw tears running, dripping off his face, weren't they, weren't they? And I said, uh, he said, preacher, uh, Eric, uh, we just, I told him about the Lord, how to be saved, and he just asked Christ to save him. Now, normally you'll say, did you? Well, you know, I said, uh, so you've accepted Christ as Savior? You know, I mean, the guy's crying, isn't he? He's crying. I mean, tears are running down his face. And I said, I'm so happy for you. He's trying to smile while he's crying. And I said, man, that's just wonderful. She's standing off to the side. She's crying. I mean, it's just really, really sweet what happened there this morning. Now, he's just getting started in this. So I told him what he needed to do. Sure enough, what you need to do is be at church. Don't skip church. See, you, you just will not understand how important that is. Look, you say, but we were sick. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. God gives no footnotes concerning that verse. Well, if you're sick, you don't need to get it. You'll be okay. No, he didn't say you'll be okay. He made a statement, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He just made a statement. Why? Whether you're sick or not, you start missing too much, even if it's not your fault. It's just not good for us. Remember, this isn't a physical thing of just sitting in here. When you're not here, there's a spiritual attack going on. And God knows what he's talking about. So look in chapter number 12, Genesis chapter number 12. Look at verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 12. Uh, there we go. Starting at verse number 1. The first thing God told him is the first crisis. You'll, you'll understand this when I bring this out. He told him, I want you to leave your country, all of your relatives, your kindred, your father's house, and then on top of all that, I want you to go to a strange land you don't know anything about. Now, if the first three wasn't bad enough, he said, you're going to a foreign country you don't know anything about. So look at verse number 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said unto Abram, this was before he became Abraham, same guy. Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy... Why? Why? Why is that necessary? This is what we ask. Preacher, why? Why? Why do we have to do that? First biggest reason, God said. That, that should sell it right there, right? God said, Abraham, this is what I want. Okie dokie. Does anybody still remember okie dokie? That's not a person, Brother Chris. No, I don't remember seeing that on TV. It's a saying, okie dokie. Okay, I will. Yes, sir. What's wrong with that? So what happens here is this. Watch what he says. Unto a land which I will show thee, verse number two. Verse number two. And I will make it. Now he says, I need you to do this. And here's what I'm going to do with you and for you. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I'm leaving. I'm going to follow. Man, I believe that. I'm heading out. And the Bible teaches he got up and he left. Everything was going fine. So what happened? Go to Hebrews. Now keep that in mind. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Hebrews, you there? Okay, wonderful. I shouldn't do that. Most of you Christians don't know your Bible. Um, chapter 8, verse 11. Chapter 8, verse 11. I'm sorry. Chapter 11, verse 8. I'm 
not only forgetting things, I'm dyslexic now. So, Hebrews 11, verse number 8. We're talking about Abraham in the New Testament. In the New Testament. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out into a place where he should after, after receive an inheritance, what did he do? He obeyed. He received the inheritance, though, after he obeyed. He had to obey. He went through this crisis. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave everything. And I want you to go to a place I'm not, it's, it's a totally different country. You just, but you need to go. Okie dokie. And this wasn't like some easy trip he went on either. So what we find out here is this. God often calls us to forsake closest family ties. I can hear the excuses being made right now. Friends and sometimes even surroundings. He did Abraham. And by the way, when he called the disciples, the Bible said they left all. And many of them later on in their Christian life left their country, went to other countries. They left all and followed him. They proved by obeying what God had told them to do. So we find out here, sometimes it's our surroundings to work by faith in a strange land. But listen to me, if we obey, now listen now, no matter what you're facing, if you obey, if you yield, if you humble yourselves like the scripture we just read, under that mighty hand of God, we shall afterward receive the blessing and the promise like Abraham did. God has made you lots of promises. Somebody who has a lot of time on their hands, I guess, said there's like over 30,000 promises in the Bible. I don't know if that's true. Probably. A lot of them in there, I know that. Could you tell me 20 of them right now? That's why when we go into certain areas of trials, crisis, we have a tough time because we don't have much of a shield of faith to fight and quench all those fiery darts. So what happened? Abraham got up and he simply left. Jesus issued such a challenge to our faith. In our love for him, or our is it our love for him, or is it our love for family? God, you got to know. You got to know. Oh, no, God comes first. You got to know. You got to know. You have to know where you stand on this. God's not trying to be mean. God is saying, look, I'm first. Amen. <laughs> Jesus has to come. You even amended it. You even said that's right. Oh, no, it has to be that way. And then it comes time for one or the other. That's the crisis. It's time to prove that. I want you to go to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. You don't hear preachers preach on this, and I don't like it either. I had to go through it, and I didn't like it then either. Still don't like it. By the way, this doesn't happen just once. Sometimes it may happen with your parents. The next time it's happened with your children. The next time it happens with your very best friends. The next time it just doesn't stop. It's impossible to please God when you're not living by faith. So God, in his goodness, actually many times puts us in situations where we have to trust him all over again. And that's a good thing for us. Look in, look in Matthew chapter number 10. Go down to verse number 34. Think not that this throws people in the world and people who think Jesus just loves everybody. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace. Now, is it read in your Bible? So who's speaking here? Oh, 
Uh, we know it's Jesus because in red. What? But a sword. Well, that doesn't sound like a nice Jesus. What is he talking about here? Ready? For I am come. I, I, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Ready? 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 Watch. He that, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me. <coughs> we start to compromise <coughs> and we change the word of God by going, no, it's, it's not that I'm picking my family over. Then how come you went that direction? They're backslid, they're cold, they're indifferent, they don't go to church half the time, and you sided with them. So yes, you picked them. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. See, it was during a time of crisis. It's either them or or Christ. Well, no, it's really not. Yes, it is. Very clearly. Watch what he says here. And the Bible said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He didn't say you weren't saved. Now, if that's all you care about is being saved, then you can fit into that. But for those of us that want to please God while we're living on this earth and obey him according to the Bible, he's saying here, he said, uh, uh, he that loveth son or daughter, those be your children more than me, is not worthy of me. He didn't say you weren't saved. He said, after what I did for you, you're not worthy for what I did for you. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Watch, we're not done. Watch what he says. Verse 38, he that taketh not up his cross... In context, he's talking about this situation between mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and relatives. That's what he's talking about. Do you know how many people that we and a lot of churches lose because of this right here? Not, it's not just us. Quit looking at me that way. Well, preacher, if you'd give in a little bit, I can't. I can't do that. Watch what he says. He that taketh not up his cross and follow after family. Family comes above everything. No, it does not. No, it does not. No, it does not. And God clearly says this is going to be a cross that most of you are going to have to bear sooner or later. The more you take a stand for God, even most relatives will not stand with you, and they begin to pull. They begin to pull. God telling us ahead of time what you're going to have to do and why. So what do we find out here? It's only a test. What this is all about is a test. Listen to me, fellas, sit still. It's all about a test. God simply said, I'm bringing this up so you're going to have to, you're going to, have to make a decision, me or them, me or him, me or her. It was a test. So how did you do? Did you prove that it was all him first? Or did we begin to compromise, backslide, sidestep, and say, well, but God understands that's, that's you disobeying God. So it's only a test, a proving of your faith. In other words, what you say you would do versus what you actually did is proven in a time of crisis. Is this making sense to anybody? I want you to go to Luke chapter 14. Well, preacher, that's one verse in the Bible. I'm glad you brought that up. You ask some of the greatest questions. You just do. Luke chapter 14, look at verse number 26. Now this is the physician Luke. Look, I've, I've heard this for 50 some years. 
Family comes first. If you don't have family, you don't have anything. If you don't do this, you don't do that. And all that sounds real gooey and lovey-dovey and, and God understands. There's only one big problem with it. God doesn't understand. It's not Bible. And it was a test and you flunked it. You just proved to yourself that Jesus is not everything to you. What do you think he did to Abraham? Out of the blue, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your parents. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave everything. And then I want you to follow me to a place I'm not even going to tell you of till we get there, a totally different country. You know what he said? Okie dokie. And he obeyed. Bible said, and he obeyed. So the proof was in the obeying, not the, not the saying, I will. A lot of people say, I will. You remember that story in the Bible where the young man said, I will follow you, and then didn't. And the other young man said, I'm not going to, but did. It was the young man who said, I can't or I'm not going to, but then did. He obeyed. The one who said he would, but did not. He disobeyed. You understand? Okay, I'm trying to help you now. Watch what happens here. Um, Luke chapter 26, uh, uh, 14, 26. Watch what he says. If any man come to me and, wow, good night. That's rough language. That is rough language. Hate not his father. Quit staring at me. I know I'm cute. Look at your Bible. Find out God said this. He said, I'm not saying this. God said this. Hate not, and your mother, not mom. That's what it says. Now, there's a reason he's saying this. He doesn't just say, hate your mom because I told you to. Hate your dad because I don't like him either. That's not what he said. Wife, ooh. Okay, maybe that was a little easier. Children, brothers, sisters, yay, and your own life. He cannot be my disciple. Again, that doesn't mean Christian. A disciple is a learner and follower of God. So again, we're back to, you're not worthy. Watch what he says. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross. See, we're back in contact. This is not going to be easy. When you die on a cross, that's not easy. That's rough. That's rough dying, buddy. You have to die to yourself. And cometh after me. So it's not just giving into that. It's continuing to follow Christ. Cannot be my disciple. It's a test. That's all it was was a test. So how would you do last time? How would you do last time when the family said, you either go to that church or, or we're leaving. And you left with them. Well, if that's the way you're going to act, we're not going to get together anymore. And so you compromise. It was just a test. That's all it was was a test. To see if what you told it, oh, no, Jesus comes above everything. Family? Children? Your own mom? Your son? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. In context, he calls that a cross. I have a question. Why would God put you in a position to make you make a choice for him? or for, Why would he even do that? Number one, he deserves first place. And how often have you amen that? So you agree until crisis comes. Then we start rethinking. Number two, you told him he was first in your life. How often have you told, oh God, you're everything. You told him he was first. You told other people he needs to be first. And then crisis hit, and that decision, that cross was right there that you had to bear or run away from it. What did you do? It's just a time of testing. 
That crisis was a time to prove your faith. If this is true, if this is true, what I just told you, you should pass this test with flying colors in a crisis because that's really what you believe. Not just what you say. Does that make sense? You understand? Okay, good. Now, I'm not upset with you. I'm just trying to tell you. Now, watch what happens here. Go to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Go down to verse number 28. Now we have a disciple, very close to Jesus, by the way. His name is Peter. Watch what he says. Then Peter began to say unto him, I'm in Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Lo, we have left all. And followed thee. By the way, that's what happened. Jesus went by and saw the fishermen and said, follow me. The Bible said they left all. So it says. Read, read, the, read, the, read the, uh, the synoptic gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you'll find out that's exactly what they did. They, Whoa, wait a minute. I can't do that. No, they left all and followed Jesus. Watch what happens here. So Peter is saying, that's what we did. We left all. Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man. There is no man that hath left, watch very carefully what it says, house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, or wife, or children, or lands, hold it, hold it, for my sake, for my sake. But he had received an hundredfold, for those of you in public school, that means a hundred more times. Now in this time, while you're on this planet, watch what he says. Houses, well, he named that in verse 29. Let me see, brethren, he named that in verse 29. Uh, sisters, he named that in verse 29. Mothers, he named that in verse 29. Children, lands, with persecution. You know what he didn't name in the second part there? Huh? Who? Fathers and wife. With persecution and in the world to come, eternal life. Abraham, I want you to leave your family. Oh, no, that's not all. I want you to leave your dad. But that's not all. I want you to leave your country. That's not all. Going to a country you don't know anything about, and I want you to just follow me. And the Bible said he obeyed. He proved that he trusted the Lord. We say we trust the Lord, but crisis comes up in your life, and Abraham, the father of the faithful, obeyed the Lord. Are, are you following me? Okay, so what happens here? Crisis number two um, Abraham had to separate from Lot. You remember that story? You remember what happened there? Sometimes perhaps we get the wrong picture of these two. I think we think they hated each other. They weren't getting along. No, I think Abraham loved Lot. You remember when Abraham's brother, which was Lot's daddy, died, he took him into his own family, made him one of his own kids, and took him along and prospered because of that. He, he, he was doing, by the way, you better be very careful about where you go and what you say. A lot of times, just like um, Joseph in uh, Potiphar's house, Potiphar said, I'm being blessed because of that kid right there. 
sometimes on the job, sometimes in your family. It's who you're with that's blessing you. Same thing with church. You better be careful about just pulling up stakes and going somewhere. Because it may not be you're being blessed because of you. Did I hear an amen up there in the crow's nest? It could be because of who you're running with. God many times says, I'll bless them because of you. That happens all the time. So, Abraham. So what happens here? Had had he received Lot into his own faith, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps Abraham thought, you know, I don't have any kids. Maybe he was thinking, maybe Lot will be my heir. Maybe, I don't know. I'm making this part of it. It doesn't really say that. <coughs> See, God had not blessed him with any children at this time. And so what he thought when he first left Ur of the Chaldees, he took his dad with him. He died uh, later on way up by um, uh, the top of the river, the Euphrates up in that area somewhere. He died, left daddy behind because God said he has to go. What did Abraham do when dad died? He continued to follow the Lord. He was still obeying what God told him to do. But perhaps that's what Abraham thought. But Lot not being a very, very um, consecrated man, Though he was a believer in God, in his own wisdom, he brings about a separation from Abraham. Watch what happens. Go to Genesis chapter 13. Again, a crisis is getting ready to take place. Genesis chapter number 13. Genesis chapter number 13. <clears throat> There's a separation take place. And, and I, I believe that Abraham, loved, you said, well, it's just their responsibility. That's what they do over knee. Okay, maybe. But I think he loved the kid. I, young man, he wasn't a kid. I believe he loved him, made him a part of his family. They both began to prosper together. Their families grew together. A lot of things good were going on when they were together. I think he really loved Lot as his, his own son, but it was really his brother's boy that he took into his family. And by the way, in the East, in a lot of countries, that's what they do. You don't have any relatives, you become part of our family. Boy, Americans do that, we'd go crazy, wouldn't we? Genesis chapter 13, look at verse number 5. And Lot also went, and Abraham had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them uh, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great. Boy, they're being blessed like crazy. So that they could not dwell together. They just wasn't enough room. Your cows are eating my cow's grass. And, and your sheep are pushing my sheep over the edge. And boy, we're just having a terrible time. Being blessed. <laughs> we're being blessed. And we're having such a terrible struggle. God knows how to get you over that. Just take all that stuff from you. I'll take stuff from you. And then you don't have to argue about it anymore. Hey, you're in my parking place. Oh, I'll just take your car from you. Your kids and mine can't get along. What would you do if one of them died? Watch what he says. So what happens here is this. Look at verse number 7. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. And Abraham said, Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between thy herdmen and, and I'm sorry, my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be, I love that statement, for we be brethren. I love that. We'd be brother. All right, good. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee. 
he wanted to stay friends with him. He wanted to get along with him. So he said, look, if you think you need to get away from here so that we can stay friends, go ahead. Just pick any land. Pick any land you want to. Now watch what happens here. The whole land, separate thyself. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you'll take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Behold, the uh, plain of Jordan, it was well watered everywhere uh, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder how he knew that. Uh, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar, which he spent some time in also. Verse number 11. And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and he separated, and they separated themselves one from the other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities and the plains and pitched his tent toward Sodom. He's just heading off into trouble. I wonder what Abraham thought when he had to finally go after his own brother's son, his kid, because he lived in a filthy homosexual area. And five kings came, and four kings came in and beat the tar at everybody and, and stole them all away and took them all away. Abraham with 300 men. Four kings came in and beat five kings and their armies. Abraham took 300 well-trained soldiers, went back and beat them and took everything back and brought Lot with him. Here comes Lot, like a little puppy. He knew he had no business being down there. Listen to me, that was, a, that was a crisis for Lot too, and he blew it. Lot blew it. What do you want? Everything God was blessing Cattle and sheep were prospering. Their relationship was prospering. They were having children. I mean, the whole land was being taken up. That's a great thing. And God presented a crisis. Abraham succeeded. Lot failed. Lot made a bad decision during a time of crisis and chose not to trust the Lord, but his business sense. Lost a lot of people to the world because of their business sense, because of their education. Why would God be against this? I don't know. But you better figure it out before you make that decision. So what do we have here? We're finding out through all of this that what God is trying to do here. This must have disappointed Abraham. That one he had traveled with, their families grew together, business grew together. Watch that his kids grow, he watched my kids grow. All these things are going on. And look what happened. By the way, when Lot left, Abraham did not go with him. He did not go with him. You understand me? Now, what's hard, parents, is this. You powdered that little baby. You cleaned their rear end. You taught them how to eat. You had to actually put a spoon in their mouth and take it back out. And you women do some disgusting things. You do. Dip it in that jar of baby food and stick it in the baby's mouth. I think, why in the world? What, honey, you, you taste, you're getting part of the jar before he gets all of it? What are you doing here? I don't know why women do this, do that. They watch this the whole time. And then Lot walks off. There's a time of crisis. And you know what he did? Lot traveled one way. Abraham took what was left. Lot took the best looking place. Abraham took what was left. Oh, oh, oh. But he kept his tent and his altar. You know what that means? He kept his relationship with God. Well, it sure looked bad. He's out here, no cities, no green grass, nothing's really going on. Oh, this is really terrible. Really? Really? Do you know 
Lot is quickly forgotten about and Abraham just keeps prospering and God just keeps using him. Isn't that amazing? During that time of crisis, one person in that family made a bad decision and one person not knowing the future or what's going to happen other than a promise by God said, I'm going to follow the Lord. And the time of crisis pointed that out, that Abraham obeyed what he believed and Lot changed his mind about what he believed. I don't know. Maybe Abraham thought, there goes Lot. I don't have any kids. Maybe Eliezer, my servant, my steward. Maybe he's going to inherit everything. We worry about a lot of stuff, don't we? God made you a promise, Abraham. And you're wondering who's going to inherit the promises that God gave you. Like God saying, I'm going to do all this for you, but I don't have an answer for it right now. God always has an answer. We're going through a time of crisis. Sometimes God reduces us until our only prospect of help is not even in our family anymore. Now, parents, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But some people give up their walk with God, give up their church, give up other things to stay with somebody that does not want to serve the Lord. And those that do, it may look as though It'll be somebody not of my own family, somebody not of my own church, somebody that I'm not related to. God knows what he's doing. By the way, Abraham, he got it. And the Lord continued to use him. And isn't that what our life is all about? Letting God use us? God will not use you the way you want to be used. That will never work. God will use you the way he knows you need to be used and to his benefit. You do that no matter what it looks like, you're going to be okay. You see, when the test comes, will you continue to serve the Lord? Will you? I don't know that, but you're going to find out. Sometimes, dear ones whom we love, perhaps family, we serve God with, built buildings with, laughed and cried with, suffered and received God's blessing with. There must come a separation time, and it needs to be settled in the family. But Lot murmured. Lot complained. Lot would not settle down his own family, which would be his servants. They complained. You know what I would have said? If those were my people complaining with Father Abraham's people, you just be quiet. We're being blessed because of that man right there God is using. And you just watch your mouth. Get out there and do your job. That's what I would have told him. But I'm not a very good Christian. There you go. So Abraham, this is a crisis. It's just a test. Abraham is a test. You'll feel, <laughs> maybe he thought Eliezer, maybe he thought Lot, maybe he thought, this is, they're going to inherit. God said that one day I'll have more kids and more family than the, than the stars in heaven, the sands of the sea. Man, that'd be great. No kids. I don't have any kids. Maybe he thought it was Lot. Maybe he thought it was Eliezer. So off he goes again. Promise still not fulfilled. Sometimes it's awful hard to wait on God. He's so slow about stuff. You ever notice that? I mean, if he knows what's going on, he just make it happen. Because your faith being much more valuable than gold tried in the fire. God wants to prove to you what you really believe. Maybe we just don't like to see that, okay? Maybe that's what it is. It was just a test. You'll feel sometimes when this happens 
Abraham, now I've got to start all over. Lot's not with me. Eliezer's my steward. That's not him. God said, no, it's not him. I've got to start all over. It's almost like starting with unproven people. Do you know why a lot of preachers quit? Because they're starting all over. Got to teach like from the first time they started. Happens all the time. Then we get upset with the preacher that says, I've had it. I can't do it. What's wrong with him? I don't know. He's been punched in the gut, stabbed in the back. Hey, preacher, we love you. What do you think is going on? Abraham. Okay, Lord, I'll obey. Off he goes. This didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. You're going to have kids. That didn't happen. Okay, he's going to go with you. That didn't happen. Your father's not supposed to go with you. He died. That happened. All of these crises was simply to let him know, to build his faith that I can trust God without anybody around or I don't have anything or I have everything. The thing that makes the difference is am I obeying the Lord? That's all that makes a difference. That's what the crisis was to prove to you. Amen. Do you really trust the Lord like you say you trust the Lord? Amen. Number three. Abraham had to give up his own preferences and plans about Ishmael. Ishmael was born not of the promise of God. He was born of an Egyptian woman who had no business being a part of his family. Abraham had given in to his reasoning and his doubts. I mean, we don't have any kids yet. So his wife, terrible time, lady, for you to get real carnal. Well, what are we supposed to do? God understands. Why don't we just, what are you doing? It's hard enough for him to take his stand. Quit pulling on his chain, telling him he needs to obey. Here, boy, stop that. It's hard enough to live for God and try to guide a family without the wife who he loves. But you know what Sarai did? Look, why don't you, we don't have any, and God, God made the promise now, so we're actually helping God keep his promises. God don't need our help keeping his promises. We just need to learn how to keep his promise. He'll keep his own promises. So Abraham was giving in to reasoning and doubt, fleshly reasoning and doubt. What else could it be? Well, you know God doesn't want us to not eat. Let me look around. Yep, everybody's eating. We're good. You mean you can't eat when you want to, so we have to change geographical location. Oh, you mean you don't have everything you want, so you're going to change job, so you can make more money, geographical location. Let me tell you something about moving all the time. There have been people in this church that every year to year and a half change jobs. They're not here anymore. You say, preacher, what's wrong with that to, to try to get ahead? That's all they were concerned about was to get ahead. Let me tell you what your job is again. Your job is nothing more than to make money to support your family and provide for the cause of Christ. End of the story for your work. Your life is not your job. That's a job. That's why they call it a job. It's not your career. It's a job. Don't make it more. They have made your life is Christ. That's a job. How are we going to make this work without you? What did you do before I got here? You know what they're going to do after you leave? They'll put somebody else in your stool. They'll put somebody else in your chair and act like they didn't even remember you. But they have convinced us that's our life. You should have seen them when I left Rockwell. <laughs> to them, that was a dream come true job. No matter where they went from there on, they could always have a job as long as their plane's flying in the air. You know what I told them? 
I'm getting ready to go to college. Dale, that's great. See, I was out working them, and I didn't even go to college yet. And I didn't like that a whole lot. So then I said, I'm getting ready to go to college. Oh, that's great. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Temple. Well, they thought I meant the worldly university, Temple. In case you didn't know, there's a well-known university called Temple. And I kept listening to them and said, no, no, no. Tennessee Temple University is a Bible college. Oh, man, that's great patronization. Man, keep in touch. Let's know what's going on. Boy, we're really going to miss you around here. They're going to miss me like a thorn in the eye. And I walked out. I left the best job I ever had. Best job I ever had. I've been through the, and I don't like it, never have liked it. But if you think I'm going to choose you over Christ, I don't care what our relationship, I don't care who my mother is, I don't care who my brother, what he did for me, I love them, but I am not going to compromise this test. If I have to, I will carry that cross, and I'm not a martyr by a long shot, but I do love the Lord. My mom may have given me birth, but she didn't give me second birth. My brother may have won me to Christ, but he didn't save me. You have got to understand, all it was was a test. It's just a test. So you to prove to yourself and those watching you who and what means the most to you. That's all the crisis was about. It was just a simple test, if you would. God had told him through his seed, God had already told him, God already made a promise that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God didn't perform as quick as he thought, so they got to help the old guy out. God said he would, but he hasn't done that. What are we going to do about this? What do you mean, what are you going to do about it? Your job is to obey the Lord. Keep following. End the story. Don't make it more than what it is. But Sarai was barren. Am I going to have all these kids? Do you know how old I am? She's like 90. I'm 100 years old. And we're going to have kids that flood nation. Something's wrong. We need to help. I know what we'll do. We'll force the action. Yeah. We'll have a kid. Well, I won't. But. My handmaid will, and, and we'll call her your wife, and, and you'll really marry her, but it won't really be her child, and, and she'll sit on my knees and have a baby, and I'll call it mine, and boy, you're really forcing things, aren't you? And we're all going to call it because of the will of God. Well, it's basically what God wants. Yeah, you sure? So God can't make it real plain anymore. You know, I've never, I was telling these guys, I, I'm not a real spiritual guy. I'm sorry, I don't mean to disappoint you. You know, I was driving down the road and I had this spiritual understanding like God was talking to me that I should turn left. You know, that's never happened to me. You know, I was thinking about what God wanted me to do and I had this, I had this thought. And off I go. That's never happened to me. God specifically, look at me and listen to me. I do not believe people who every couple of months or weeks God spoke to them and changed their mind, their direction, their I don't believe I don't believe you, I don't believe you. And I hope I'm standing there during judgment and going, nah, 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 I told you. I can name you five times, five times in my entire fifty some years that God, I believe, specifically talked to me about doing something. Five. One of them was my salvation. One of them, the last one, was coming here. And there were only three others in between there in 50-some years. And you listen to some people talk every couple of years, God is leading them somewhere. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. I think when you get to heaven, God's going to say, so you spoke for me, didn't you? And you told people, I told you this. I didn't tell you that. 
So let's get, let's get back to this, okay? I'm getting upset. Now, <clears throat> here's what happened. <clears throat> Sarai, years had passed by and no promise. Listen, yes, God promised, she said, but... See that, see that hinge word? That hinge word? Yes, I know that's what the Bible says, but... You ever said that? You ever made that statement? Well, yeah, I know what it says, but... This crisis was just a test. Abraham was going to be the father of the, Really? You're going to be the father of the faithful? Yet when a crisis enters into your life that you don't understand, you resort to what you're going to do? You're going to be the father of the faithful. That's what I said Hebrews. Father of the faithful. And yet when a crisis comes, you don't trust the Lord. You start making things happen like, I'll get another wife because my wife said, and we're going to have a child by them. It'll be the same thing. No, it's not the same. That's like saying the new King James Bible is the same thing as the King James Bible. Things that are different are not the same. If it's different, it's different. I know it's really deep, but that's the way it is, okay? So what happens here is this. Our plans and God's plans, when they're both in play, it's just going to produce trouble and heartache. God's plans will not work with your plans. You must give in to God's plans. The only way it's going to work. God does not have to agree with you. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? God was actually saying, you need to agree with me. Which is kind of smart because he knows everything. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. For the flesh, he said, preacher, why does it have to be this? Well, when sinful humans try thinking to produce a spiritual outcome by their works, it's never going to work. There's a reason for that in Galatians chapter number 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, capital S. And the spirit lust has strong desire against the flesh. So when my flesh tries to get involved and make something spiritual happen, that's never going to work. So you've got to surrender. God, I don't understand. I don't even like it. But I'm following you no matter what. And God said, you proved yourself, didn't you? And you prove to yourself who means most to you. And you prove to yourself what means most to you. See, I, I don't have to tell you. You're proving it to yourself. And God, how wise of him to set this up. And the best way to, to, to see this is during a time of crisis. Look at what you changed. Look at what you said. Look at how you behave. And God is saying, see, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm trying to get you to see yourself that I'm not everything to you yet. The crisis just proved it. It's the test. So in Galatians, that's what it says. Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, watch this. Abraham wishes that Ishmael, an Egyptian slave's illegitimate son, would be the inheritor of God's promises. What? Well, you're really twisting things around now, aren't you? He said, where does it say that? Go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Abraham wishes... That Ishmael, an illegitimate son by an Egyptian right out of the world, would fit into God's plans about inheriting the promise. Look in Genesis chapter 17, verse number 18. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, and God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. I told you this before, if you would. 
And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Abraham wanted Ishmael. Well, this illegitimate kid's better no kid at all. God made you a promise, Abraham. And the crisis simply brought out in you at that time what was really in you. That when push come to shove, you're going to do what you have to to continue to do what you think is right. God's not trying to be mean to you. Young person, God's not trying to be mean to you. Single mommy's not trying to be mean to you. He's not just piling on to see how much you can take. God is trying to prove what you keep telling people you believe. He's actually trying to help you. So, that's what we find out. I'm about done. Ready? Often we want our Ishmaels. Our own selfish arrangements and projects to succeed. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, you know, I've, I've had these dreams. And this is what I've always wanted to do. And by hook or crook, God's not changing things. But you keep telling people you love the Lord above everything. And, and that's right to say. It is. God comes before everything. And you're right again. But when God says, let's put it to the test, the way you react, the way many of us react is, I can't. That's not true. God wouldn't expect me to. These are the things that we say. It was just a test. And the crisis proved in our lives what's really in us. God wants them to fail. God wants our Ishmaels, our personal projects to fail. He wants us to fail concerning our own plans, our own deeds, that we might find the blessings of God and not in our own deeds but in his promises. You know, when you're all said and done and you've done it, you tend to, we tend to brag about ourselves. Yeah, it was tough, but I pulled it off. Man, we were down for the count financially, but I talked to some friends of mine down in Georgia, and they promised me a job down there. Whoop, up off we go. Quit. What are you doing? What are you doing? God is not that flighty. So what happens? Our Ishmaels must fail. That God's given Isaacs may succeed. You see, both those plans will not work together. Pay a lot for these. Watch. How many fingers am I holding up? You know, I'm okay. Number four. Okay. God called for the sacrifice of I, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Abraham almost messed up because he didn't think he was having a child. Then he had a child, and when that child was in his early thirties, God said, "Now I want you to kill him." Who can figure God out? Abraham, um, Abraham, it was just a test. I brought this crisis in thy son. Ready? Watch how he lays this on. Thy son, thine only son. Ready? It's not done. Whom thou lovest. I want him for a sacrifice. By the way, read the story. He got up early in the morning and headed out. Same thing he started with God. Do you remember when you got saved? You were like, now God, I'll get saved if you didn't bargain with God. If you did, you're not saved. You did not bargain with God. You said, God, I know you're I know you're up there and you love me. I'll do anything. You just gave yourself away. Now as we go on, hmm, I don't know if that's I don't know if I really should do I'm not sure that's in my best interest. That's not the way you started. As you have started in Christ, walk therein. What are we changing stuff for? A simple okie dokie. 
A simple, I'll obey. A simple, get up early in the morning and do what God says. Very simple, very simple, very simple. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So what happens here is this. God called for the sacrifice of Isaac, the son of faith. Right? Ishmael represents the worst thing in, in Abraham's life, the worst thing in his life. And God took him away and never gave him back. Never gave him back. We must believe and obey God about our future by faith and not doubt and resort to making God's blessings come about by our own means. Folks, look at me. In our church right now, if we're living right and we're doing everything God said, there's nothing else we can do. It's not by hook or by crook. It's not by what we need to do this or we need to. What we need to do is obey the Lord and pray like he said, depend upon the Lord, and then go like this. It's up to you now. Do you know the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, God said, I want you to go to all the Egyptians to get all the gold and jewels and everything you ought to need for the temple and the tabernacle, and they'll give it to you. God had a bunch of heathen from Egypt to give them. He said, whatever they ask for, give it to them. Uh, I want that gold. Okay, church, go. Take and go. Take and go. Just like God said. You ever wondered where they got all that material, all that gold, and all that brass and stuff to build that stuff with? They didn't dig it out of the ground and manufacture it. They got it from the Egyptians before they left. If God can't take care of this place, it can't be taken care of. Time of crisis. Time of crisis. What are we going to do? So we happen to see here, God will never take away or ask us to give up anything that's good for a Christian. It's just that we don't like it. But the sooner you give in and start to like it, the better off you're going to be. You see, Ishmael represents the worst thing in Abraham's life. Isaac represents the best thing in Abraham's life. So God took him. Wait a minute, you said the worst thing in his life God took and didn't give back. The best thing in his life he took, you ready for the rest of this? But he gave him back. You see, sometimes the very things God gives us, we treasure way too much sometimes. Like our children. You had a child and now you haven't been to church for like three months because of the child. Yet you tell, God gave me and blessed me with a child. And God gave you a child so you could stay away from church. God gave you a child so you could get off your bus route. God gave you a child so you could change direction. God gave, You better be careful. God gave me this job, really. God gave you a job that takes you working on Sundays, really. You're lying. You're absolutely lying. That is not true. Not true. There is no way on God's green earth that God would bless you with something that purposely he already knew was going to take you out of his will. That's not true. It was a crisis, and you gave, you made the wrong decision and gave in. Hear the crickets? Ishmael, Isaac represents the best thing that happened to him. Look, folks, it's just a test. It was just a test. Uh, you have to work on Sunday if you're going to work here. Okay. You didn't even put up a fuss. You didn't even present an argument. I need the job. I think God understands. Show me that in the Bible. Show me God understands you making a stupid decision. Show me in the Bible where God said, you make your decision and then you can stamp my name to it and it'll be the same thing. It's, it's, folks, 
even if, even that which God gives us, if he has to take it away, it's yours. Job, remember what Job said? God giveth, and then what? God takes away. At the end of the story, what happened? God gave back to him. Is that right? Am I telling Bible now or what all? You understand? You do understand what all happened in between there, right? Yeah. Terrible time. Crisis after crisis after crisis. A testing in the devil's face to say he won't. And he didn't. Good choice. Don't your children belong to God? Hold up before you say amen. When they become teenagers, Daddy, why can't I wear a mini skirt? I mean, I look like old grandma the way people are dressing now. Why can't I wear a dress clear up to my rear end? I mean, it's just not what's wrong with that. And you goofy parents, because you want your child to do what? Fit in the world? I don't want them to feel different. Now, before you get too upset, you do the same thing on your job. You sit with people who hate God, that talk dirty, but you have to get along with them. No, you have to love them and pray for them. You don't have to get along with them. By the way, I don't know how a sold-out Christian can get along with a sinner. That's why churches were never meant for sinners. Churches meant for Christians. It, it might be too plain, is it? Maybe you don't understand me. Maybe I need to cut the bushes down a little more and, and, and show you what. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm trying to use as much Bible as I can so that you don't outthink me. Like we're boxing, okay? Oh, preacher, you come real close, but you missed. You dodged. I'm not here, I'm not here to pugilate with you. Is that a word? Sounds good. We'll use that one. Pugilization. Ooh, that's a big word. I like that one right there, too. I am a pugilist. It sounds like I just vomited, but that's not what that means at all. Doesn't your spouse belong to God? Does your job belong to God? Or is that yours? I thought everything we had, we were simply stewards of what God gave us. Do your friends belong to God? Abraham, you said you love God above everything. Give me thy son. Why? Because what you said you believed. And by the way, it was a right statement. But Abraham, let's prove this, okay? Let's just prove it. I want you to prove it to you. I want you to prove it to the world that you love me above all it takes is me make one statement about your weight, your hair, who you married, your rotten kids, something like that, and you're done. I'm done with God. That's it. That's all over. I mean, if that's the way church is. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't preach on anymore. Because you'd be so offended. Oh, my goodness sakes. I mean, I'm not allowed to preach on fat people anymore. Everybody has thyroid problems, right? Nobody's really fat. Everybody has thyroid problems, right? It might help you to quit eating all those donuts and pizza. Now, see, every skinny person is laughing right now. And you who work on Sundays, you who work on Sundays, look at me, talking to you. 
I love God above everything. Won't you quit lying to yourself? It was a right statement, but your life didn't prove it out. You say, well, I have to, really. So God can't take care of you. How about this? How about lowering your standard of living so that you don't have to cheat on God about what you promised? About what you promised. The Isaacs that he may restore like, like Moses. Moses' rod, he threw it down and become a snake. You know what God said? It, it's yours. Pick it back up. I'm not sure I'd do that, but that's what he did anyway. God will give you the... Will you, will you just trust God? Well, yeah, I'll preach it. Hold on, hold on. How will you know if you really trust God? The Bible says we should. The Bible says we should. The Bible even says we can. But you don't know that until you do. And how will you know if you do until there's a time of crisis and your faith, your belief and trust in God actually comes about and you have no choice? Now the choice you have isn't about the trial. It's about the decision in that trial. Hopefully it made sense. When a crisis strikes, it's just a test to prove to those around you and to yourself what you really believe and who you really believe. Go to Genesis chapter 20. So this promise that God made Abraham, God reassures him. Remember, he didn't have a kid for like 20 years. Then he had the wrong kid. Then he had a right kid. And then he had to kill the kid. And then he's just, it's bad. The whole, the whole story is just terrible. But did God keep his promise? Look in Genesis 22, down in verse number 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord. Now he's telling him, God made you a promise and swore by it, and here's what it is. For because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine own. He said, this thing you did with Isaac that I asked you to do, you did it because you trust me and love me. Because you did that, that promise that I asked you about, that thing I asked you, watch verse 17, that in blessing, he said, okay, because you did that, in blessing I will bless thee. I will multiply, I'm sorry, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars in heaven, as the sands uh, which are upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of the enemy. And in thy seed, in thy seed, not Isaac's seed, your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. He proved it. God, I did what you said. It's not that I didn't struggle. At times I did, but I obeyed your voice. I didn't turn and go back to, to, to Ur of the Chaldees. I didn't go back down into Egypt again. I trusted you and I followed you and it hurt me and I lost Lot and I lost, uh, and I lost Ishmael and I lost some other things. But dear God, you come first in my life. You make that statement. You're going to have to prove that statement. Real victory in things spiritual always follows genuine surrender. You'll never live by faith unless there's genuine surrender. It just, it just will not work. You remember what we said in Proverbs 15, 33, and 18, 12? Before honor is humility. You don't get honor because you're the smartest guy in the room because we don't have any of those. No. You're not there because you have the best job. You're not there because you make the most money. Honor should never come to a person, never, 
especially in leadership for God, unless first there's been real humility. So please understand, Abraham's progress was very gradual. This happened over years of time. This isn't going to happen this weekend because you made up your mind. He did not learn this overnight. And number two, the development of Abraham required time and testing. We're not very patient people. Preacher, how long is this going to go on? What difference does that make? Just keep living for the Lord. Just keep living for the Lord. Well, yeah, but I, I just want to know. You ever notice that even when you tell somebody an answer, it's like they never heard it. Well, just keep living for the Lord. Yeah, I know that, but, and we go right on anyway, right? Like, well, I wouldn't want to talk about it because I, I think it's kind of private. I, I mean, I understand that, but, so what did they say to you? Why even talk to some people? I don't know. While the Christian experience is not primarily a matter of giving things up, that is not what the Christian life primarily is about, what you give up for the Lord. Such crisis in our life do bring about an end to you. What I want, what I like, what I don't like, what I put up with, what I have to suffer, that's what's trying to bring you to. The end of you so that he can have the right of you. So what are we talking about here? The crisis of Abraham. It's just a test. It was just a test. A test to prove what you really believe and who you really believe. The crisis of Abraham. Let's pray. Father, thank you.